Hello to everybody who's blown away by the comedic stylings of John Early. It's beautiful, anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Uh, so I feel so lucky to bring you this call today. Before we get into that, I, I just want to thank everybody who's been uh, supporting the show. It, it's I've mentioned it before. The show's been getting like just more press. The Library of Congress thing happened. And I just feel like five years in, I just have to continuously thank the people who support it. And um, glad to be telling you that we are in the works right now of, of figuring out how to do a whole bunch more. So thank you guys for that. Thanks to everybody who's also been supporting the uh, New Jersey is the World, my little side gig that I use to uh, get some laughs with old friends and have some pressure release from uh, from all the other scary parts of life. Okay, that's it. Oh, and also, guys, starting to plan some beautiful anonymous live gigs for the fall, and I cannot wait to see somebody face-to-face. Like, can't wait. Okay, enough with the dumb plugs. This call is one that I think is... Um, it's tough and and you'll hear our caller is uh just sounds kind of burnt out and and rightfully so because she was adopted by white parents she herself is chinese and you you just know from reading the news lately there's been people killed there's people getting attacked in the streets it's so awful and concerning and makes so many of us just throw our hands up in like disgust and to hear from somebody young and asian and sorting this out and processing this and wondering why it's happening and how to stop it and and what it means to be who she is and and have to go out into the world right now a call that in so many ways is just like i'm just like it's just a bummer this call had to happen but i think it does have to happen and i do feel like this is exactly why I, I want this show to be archived in the future because this is the show where you get to hear someone in their own words, no pre-production, no censorship, just talk about today, man. And I'm trying to pat myself on the back or the show on the back too hard, but I go, man, I feel so lucky I get to have these conversations and hopefully you listen to it and you learn and you get something out of it. I won't say enjoy the call because it's tough times, but uh, here is the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It just stopped raining, so that's always a good feeling. Oh, yeah. I I haven't been outside yet, so it just stopped raining. Where are you again? I'm in New Jersey. It was raining all day, all night yesterday. And I'll tell you what, I dug a trench, not personally. I had a trench dug on my on my front lawn and filled it with gravel in the hopes that it would stop the water from pooling. And it worked. So I'm thrilled. Oh, wow. This is where my life is at now. I used to be cool. Now I'm like, all right, the gravel trench worked. <laughs> I was actually just thinking about that because I got really excited about my friend's vacuum 
Oh, yeah. And I was like, wow, oh, yeah. I'm at a point in my life where I'm really excited about vacuums in a very like authentic and genuine way. Yeah. For me, it's lawn care. It's lawn maintenance. We got this trench jug with the river stones and they made it too wide. My wife is not into it. She's bummed. <laughs> that makes me bummed. But then I think when we saw that it sucked up all the water that had been pooling, we go, okay, okay. This is my life. Okay. This is my life. Get yeah. old. How are you? Um... I am okay. I feel like that's a pretty loaded question these days. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but um but I but I'm I'm okay. All right. I'm I'm interested to know. It, here's the sad state of the world. When you say it's a loaded question these days, I'm like, well, from which from which angle? Cuz there's so many reasons <laughs> to be stressed out. Um yeah, I think it's in, in general, all the angles, the pandemic, I feel like when you're asking someone if they're okay, you're really, um, or maybe you're making small talk and you don't really care, but if you're talking to someone where you do care, it's about like, how's your mental health? Like, how's your family? Is everyone safe? Um, things like that, which are a little bit heavier than just mm-hmm. how's your last week been? Um, and then, yeah, I guess with all of the violence and stuff going on in the world, it also feels like it's it's a lot to ask and it's kind of been weird because I I um I'm Chinese American and I guess it has been been pretty difficult for me and my sisters and just I think that everyone kind of knows what's going on but when they ask like how are you doing it's it's kind of I don't know it feels feels weighty uh the sense I get is that being Asian American in America, the last the last stretch of time has become a real pressure cooker, and I'd be really fascinated to hear your perspective because the sense I get is that it's showing up in the mainstream media uh, more and more in recent, like the past month or two, especially obviously with that um, with the series of shootings, just horrific. But I'm also getting the sense that as it's coming to the surface, what I'm seeing on social media is a lot of Asian American friends of mine or people who I follow from afar are going, no, this has been a thing we've been worried about for a while. And you're all just now starting to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of that too. Um, I think at least, I mean, I'm just one person, so I can't speak to everyone's experience, but it has been, it's been very confusing and it's been very scary. And um and, and yeah, I think that it, it's been, I think for me, it's kind of been a conflicting thing where I do think it's really amazing that people are talking more about like the Asian American experience and like kind of combating the model minority myth. But I, I don't, I don't know why, but I've been feeling kind of resentful in some ways, like why now? And even with like seeing posters that are like Asian lives matter, it's kind of like, I don't, why do I have to, like, why do people have to say that? <laughs> why do people have to like rally in the streets and say that? Even though I'm happy that people are more aware. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. It just, it's such a blunt and basic and obvious statement to say, Asian lives matter, black lives matter, where 
anybody with half a brain goes, yeah, of course. So the fact that it needs to be said is so disappointing. And the fact that it gets backlash is just baffling. Who can argue with, with that? Who can, like, what's the argument against people's lives mattering? I, I, I really don't see how it's a divisive thing. I don't get it. And, it, and, and I'm a white yeah. dude. I'm a white dude. And, I, and it makes me throw my hands up with frustration. So I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's kind of confusing. I, it is what um, I did. I did leave a voicemail kind of talking about it. It, w- it was really short. But I guess now on the phone with you, I, I feel kind of nervous. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know why. First thing I'll say is I get it um, being recorded and stuff. I'll also say this. No need to be nervous with me because I, I just ramble with my reactions so we can just have a conversation. And also if, uh, if, it, if you're like, oh, I don't think that went well, we'll go, okay, we won't put it out. Like this show's pretty laid back. I promise you. I promise <laughs> you. Okay. Sounds good. I guess I don't really, I guess I don't really know where to start. I think that something that I wanted to, I guess, get out there because I have been having so many conflicting feelings is, and I think part of that is because um, my parents aren't Asian. They're not Chinese. I'm adopted and I have two sisters who are also adopted. And I think that it's really incredible that so many people are talking about like the Asian American experience in general, but that is such a, like a broad term. It's, it's different for every experience. And I've really kind of found that I guess mine and my sister's experience is very different than, than other people's. And it's been really, I guess, confusing navigating it with my entire white family. That's uh, really fascinating. So are your, are your sisters also of a Chinese background? Yes. They're from, um, they were adopted from a different uh, province of China than me. They were actually adopted from the same orphanage, um, and I was adopted from a different one. But yes, we're all Chinese. That's, uh, I, I tell you, um, and not to equate anyone's experience one-to-one, I have a friend a really, really good friend of many years now who uh, she was adopted by white parents and she's Korean. And I know that at a certain point, um, she actually wound up joining a support group of other of other people who had been adopted, who were born in Korea, adopted by white American parents because my, my heart went out to her when she, when she explained to me that it can actually be really hard to kind of not, not necessarily know where your cultural experience fits because it's so unique and that there were actual support groups that people would get together because it's kind of a hard thing to sort out. Yeah, that's true. Those, those do exist. And, and I think that for so much of my life, I kind of really was in denial that being adopted and being Chinese had any impact on me. I like I remember whenever therapists growing up would be like, oh, like tell me about 
your adoption or things like that, I would always be really resentful because I was just like, there's so much more to me than than just that. But it, it has been over the last year, last couple of years when I've felt more like it's something that I'm acknowledging did have a pretty significant effect on me as an adult and growing up. And, and so now I've been kind of making more of a conscious effort to connect with those communities. And it has been, it's been really, really powerful. And I think it, I didn't realize until I was in like a group of, a group of people who were saying things that, and saying things like saying, explaining how they felt during certain parts of their life. And I grew up thinking that I was the only one. I was like, I was like, nobody else feels this way. It's, it's fine. It's just what I'm going to deal with. But it, it was really interesting to hear what um, other adopted people were thinking and feeling. This is, uh, I have so many questions to ask you if that's okay. But you said you're nervous, so I don't yeah. want to put you on the spot. But I got so many things coming into my mind. So, especially when tragedies happen, things get tense. In your mind, you think about maybe like a family sitting around the dining room table discussing how it affects all of them. Um, I know like your experience would be very different from the experience of someone who, let's say, is the first generation born in America and their parents immigrated from China. It's a different experience. I know from living in Queens in particular, in New York, you know, the Manhattan Chinatown, certainly, but especially the Flushing Queens Chinatown, it is this like very community-driven world unto itself. It's, it's really amazing. From that end of the community, are you viewed differently or are you welcomed into the full discussion? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really good question. And I think that it is kind of the, I guess I don't know. I think that when I have been, been in those spaces, I guess in like in college, if I went, um, when I went to go to the like Asian American student group, I think that I, I think it maybe it was internalized. Like I felt like I wasn't welcome, even if people, no one was saying that to me, but I also have had friends who, who are Chinese and have Chinese parents and they, before they knew that I was adopted, they, or I, I told them and then they said, Oh, I, I thought maybe like maybe you were or something. So I guess there is, I don't know, something about my personality or socialization that I guess like, I don't know. There's there's a tell of some sort, maybe within those communities. So, They've assimilated really well. <laughs> right, right. And it, uh, my mind always goes to food. It always goes to food. You've heard on this show the amount of times I, I go to food, but I go, right, even there, you think like some families grew up eating like traditional food or maybe participating more in traditional holiday celebrations. And you grew up eating probably closer to what I ate growing up. Um, and even right there, you start to go, oh, these, these different, uh, these, all these different ways that people f feel separated when it's so important right now to find ways to connect. I have to, I have to imagine you and your sisters might be, do you find that 
you three are sort of like circling the wagons and tightening up more in your conversations on this? Um, yes, yes, definitely. Um, and I also think we've also been kind of bringing our parents into those conversations too, um, which has been really hard, but also I think really important. Um, but it, it has been really, I guess I don't know what, how I would be feeling if I didn't have, have my sisters at least to, to relate to and, and talk to, cause we are, we are very close. Um, and I think with, with our parents, it's, I guess we, we kind of have similar ways of relating to them as well. You said that's been hard for them. In what way? Um, in har- been hard for my parents or hard for my sister? Your, your parents in particular, because um, it's hard for everybody. But I can see, imagine your parents going, the, the world has taken this turn where more than ever our daughters' lives are, are, you know, they're feeling endangered. They're feeling heartbroken in a way your parents can probably sympathize with, but not empathize with in the same way you can. Like it, it must feel like the, the fact that they, the, the whole adoption situation must feel like it has a magnifying glass on it in a way that I'm sure has come and gone throughout your life, but in particular right now, but must be really extreme. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And I, I guess I want to preface saying that, um, like my parents are amazing. Like they're great. They're very supportive. They're, they're like wonderful, wonderful people. Um, at the same time, I do think that they grew up in predominantly white communities and, in turn, like my sisters and I grew up in predominantly white communities. And I think that also, I guess, I think it started last year with um, like the George Floyd murder and all the, I guess there was like this racial reckoning. It's, it was seeming like in America. And I think that honestly, that was the first time that um, my parents and, and I and my sisters even really talked about race which I think is really kind of crazy like and I think that it, I did have a lot of resentment which I think was hard for them to to really understand like why I was feeling so um I guess frustrated with them so that kind of was happening that had been happening for the past year or so and then with the past couple of weeks with the rise in like anti-Asian hate crimes and stuff like that. It was, it was a really confusing and difficult time because I also had to, I basically had to tell my parents to be worried about me and my sisters. Cause I don't think that they, I think that for a long time they haven't, they're like, Oh, you're, you're our daughters and we love you. And um, like, it's a little bit of a like colorblind rhetoric and they, yeah, they, I think, and my dad even told me this last, last summer, he said, yeah, I think I've been seeing you and your sisters as just viewing you as like, like me, like white. Um, and that obviously that wasn't like a lovely thing to hear. <laughs> it, it made me really sad. And I think that also with, with this, it's, it was an extra kind of 
emotional toll to have to explain to parents who are like, I don't know, like I expect them to, I guess, know me better than I know myself. And I had to tell them that I, that I needed them and that I needed someone to check in on me. And I, I just, I really hated it. I hated being like asking to, for someone to ask if I was okay. It wasn't fun. Ouch. That's what a, that's a grim sentence to hear. That puts a lot of things in perspective, right? It's not fun to say people need to ask me if I'm okay right now. Let's, let's figure it out. Everybody let's figure out how to take care of each other, take care of our friends, take care of ourselves. Okay. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of our advertisers who allow this show to exist. Now let's get back to the phone call. I just, I really hated it. I hated being like asking to, for someone to ask if I was okay. It wasn't fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's cause that reflect, it just reflects a feeling of loneliness and, and things being an uphill climb and it sucks. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it just sucks. Is my reaction to that. That sucks. Simple thing to yeah, say. And it but. sucked for them too. It sucked for them too. Like it wasn't, I think they felt very, very, felt very guilty. And I think they felt, I think once I said that it, it really did click in their mind. Like, Oh my, like, Oh my God. Like, of course. But um, I think it was just kind of stressful for everyone to have to like go through, go through that. Well, and you know what else is really fascinating, even though it's really dark, is you you kind of indicated this before, that it probably is fair to say that this is exposed. How would I put it? A lot of what's happened lately with violence against Asian people has sort of exposed that there's almost this ladder of racism, right? Where it's like there is this sort of attitude a lot of times of like, oh, like Asian people aren't white, but it probably, there's probably a little more acceptance there. Like kids probably have a little bit of an easier time in school. Like that's been a thing that I feel like a lot of what's happening right now is going, oh, that's sort of screwed up though, isn't it? That there's this kind of ladder of things and that, I have to imagine these incidents might kind of feel like, oh, wait, no, like racism's real no matter how you slice it. And this idea that there's like stratas of 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 racism, what they deal with has is is kind of creepy and racist in its own right. And that's such a weird thing to think about too, because I bet there's some conscious or subconscious, and I may be totally wrong here. Tell me if I am. There must be some, I would imagine rather that there there might be some element of your parents being blindsided by this because of that, because of that thought of like, oh, I didn't think my daughters were going to have to deal with violence rooted in racism. Like you hear jokes that suck and things like that, but I didn't think this was a factor. I, I wonder if there was any element of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that there, I think there, there definitely was, and and there is, and I think that, um, and that's definitely something that I, I researched a lot in in college. I wrote um, 
my senior thesis type thing about Asian American mental health. And I had never known any of the, these things before. Um, and yeah, there's that like model minority myth that was very, very socially constructed and very intentional in how they framed Asian people, um, like specifically to, I guess, um, like devalue the importance of civil rights movements and kind of just like uphold the like America's the meritocracy myth, which is like so messed up. And then, um, and I, and I guess I've been thinking about this a lot, like how it, it's not like coming out again now, but it, like it is making me think about how like the response to these attacks is like higher policing and so much of the movement um, or like so much of the, what people were calling for last summer was defunding the police. And then it just feels very like oppositional in a way that's very confusing and like not, I don't know, productive. I don't know what the right word is, but Almost like it's sabotaged in a way. Yeah. Almost like it's being built on a false foundation. It's really weird. It's just really weird to see. Because yeah. <laughs> you know what it is too? Part of what ties into this, and I, I start to go on rants about this sometimes, so feel free to cut me off when this gets too crazy and soapboxy, but you sit here and you, you start to realize, oh, there's all these divisions where, right, like Asian people face certain prejudices, Black Americans face certain prejudices. You see that a lot of Hispanic immigrants face hate for, you know, slightly different reasons, phrasings. You even see how, um, and all of this is built into stuff historical beyond what I can see, but you start to see like, you you know, the more you learn, you start to hear like, oh, even with it, Cubans feel certain ways about these people and these people feel separate from these people. And then, then you start to think about all these groups where you go, man, so many of these groups actually have so much in common, uh, you know, especially people who immigrated themselves or whose families just did, because a lot of times, and not to paint with two broad strokes, but a lot of times these people farm workers, restaurant workers, factory workers. And then you start to go, oh, and then the white working class is so often pitted against every type of group here. And what are they doing? Similar stuff. And then you start to realize, man, it seems like there is a lot of dialogue that keeps people feeling pitted against one another. When if all those types of people realized the commonalities they had, economically, class-wise, you go, oh, that's that's what the powers that be really want to prevent is a whole lot of people who feel kicked down realizing that, that they could unite and be a monolith. And that that scares a lot of rich people, I think is what it comes down to, in my opinion, my opinion. Yeah, and um, take over the capitalist machine. <laughs> there you go. There you go. The people who are the gears that turn in it but benefit the least. 
if they all start to notice, hey, we're all getting the short end of the stick. Like, despite our differences, one thing we have in common is we're the ones who get the short end of the stick. That's when, uh, that's when, that's when it really starts to get interesting as far as change having potential. Mm-hmm. Th- you know what I thought was really yeah. interesting? Have you watched the new, um, the uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, the movie about Fred Hampton? No, I haven't watched it. That one was very eye-opening to me because I was aware Fred Hampton was a person who existed, who got killed within the lineage of all the other civil rights leaders got killed. But that movie shows really well. He had, he had people in that room who, this, he was not just a Black Panther. He had people from a lot of different walks of life in a room together, including a bunch of poor white people. And he was, that's why he scared, this is what the movie made me realize. That's why he got killed. That's why the government took him out. Because he started to get people who didn't look like each other to realize they could work together for everybody's benefit. And then this poor kid in his early 20s gets shot in bed. I'm like, that's what scared them. And that's oh what's God. starting to wake up right now as people face more and more violence and hate. At some point, the dam's going to break where it actually starts to change. That's my hope. I don't know. I'm talking too much. I'm talking too much. <laughs> no, thank you for thank you for sharing. I guess um, your reactions to it all. I, I mean, I think that I'm just very. It's all very overwhelming, and there's like so much to. Yeah, it's just like so much to unpack. And it's also, I think that it's also hard to kind of bring it back down to the like individual level too, because I guess everyone kind of talks about how much work needs to be done. And it just, the task, it just feels so, so overwhelming. And I like in, I guess even with conversations that I've had with my white friends and they, they're like, I, they just ask or, or we're talking about kind of what we're supposed to do moving forward. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm just trying to like live my life and not get spit on. Yeah. It shouldn't be on you to have to be like, all right, here's how we mobilize. Like, I just don't want to hear about people getting killed because they look like me. It's scary. Like that's, that's a tough, how, cause there's been a, I think there's been a movement too of like social media, like, Hey, everybody check in on your Asian friends. And I have to imagine that that might feel very nice. And that might also feel like just back off. Like just let me sort this out for myself. I don't know. Is that, is that, is there truth to that? Um, I mean, I think, I think that people react really, really differently. I, um, for me, for me personally, I felt when people checked in on me, I felt really, really cared for. And, um, and I think specifically because I had to like tell my parents to check in on me and kind of had to. And so the people who did check in on me unprompted, it really, um, like it really did mean a lot to me. And it did it, like, it didn't have to be anything like too crazy or super like well thought out, but just kind of like, I'm here, like, I'm thinking about you. Like, this is like, a, yeah, I think that that's kind of, that's what I needed to hear. Cause I, cause um, last week, definitely I felt very, like very, very alone. And um, 
I kind of just felt like, yeah, like nobody really like cared or understood. And it was really not fun seeing like my white family members like repost all this stuff on their Instagram. And I'm like, why have like I, but you haven't talked to me. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was, yeah, it wasn't, not that anybody meant any like harm by it. I think that a lot of people just don't know, don't know what to do. Um, and they don't want to make it worse. So I think it's kind of like definitely something I've learned a lot in the last year. Like people don't, can't read your mind. So I, like, I kind of just could, it's so easy to interpret things as like super performative and like they're just trying to like check a box cause they feel like they should. And, um, but I, but yeah, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. No. I definitely had something else I wanted to, to say, but, but I forgot it. It went out of my brain. <laughs> well, you'll remember. And I also want to thank you. Like hearing, a, I hear you that a lot of it can feel performative, check a box. I sometimes have the same reaction, sadly, where I'm like, oh, what, 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 what can I do hands on? That's not just a tweet, you know, like it's that, that feels, that feels like, like you described it. Um, but I think even hearing you tell me that individually and letting people hear your individual reaction to that, I'm like, oh, that, that is more eye opening than just reading an article or just putting out your own tweet to just hear you say that. It's like, it sounds so lonely. It sounds just so lonely right now. And that's mm-hmm. what a, loneliness is like my least favorite feeling. It really is. Yeah. It's just so not fun. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm someone who I, I do love my solitude. I love to be alone, but I don't like to feel lonely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I remembered, I remembered what I was going to say. Um, yes. It's about, uh, so I am, I'm in grad school right now. I'm a social work student and I work with, um, I work with a population that is, I guess, couldn't be more different than me. I work with people who um, are at risk of being chronically homeless. A lot of people have experienced homelessness and I had been working with, um, with someone and he I guess has had such different life experiences than me and is very different. He's an older, older black man um, who has experienced homelessness and a lot of different trauma in his life. And when I saw him last week, like when I was feeling kind of at the, the height of my, my loneliness, I guess I would say like I was crying a lot on the subway. Um, But he, um, he wrote me, he wrote me a letter, which was just kind of, I don't know. It just made me feel, it was really like shock, like heartwarming, I guess to me. And it, that's not that this person who like, I was supposed to be caring for them. Um, like they, they were thinking about me and kind of like wanted me to know that, they wanted me to be okay and that they kind of like understood what, like how it feels a little bit. And 
it, I guess it, it was just like, wow, this person, I haven't even known them that long. And they, I guess, did more than a lot of my like long term friends. And I guess some of my family members did as well. So, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> and surprising and for you to be training. First of all, it's, it's just, uh, I always feel compelled to thank social workers. There's been, I, I've actually, I've always been flattered that a lot of social workers listen to this show and call into the show. It's been like a running trend. And I always feel like, man, these are the people who sign up to make their lives about getting on the, the front lines of helping other people. So first of all, thank you for doing that. And yeah, that must be mind blowing to go, right? The, the, like the, the narrative is supposed to be you help people in need. And then you remember, oh, people in need actually often feel the greatest empathy. And what a, what a moment. I bet you won't forget that. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely won't, won't forget it. But I always, yeah, I always feel a little bit weird when people say, say thank you. Or if people, yeah, it's kind of confusing. to, And I've experienced it a decent amount, I guess, over this past year doing my field placement, kind of explaining like what I do. There's so much of, oh, like that sounds, that sounds so hard or like, oh, I could never do that or like things like that. And it, I can't really like articulate exactly what I feel, but it is another thing where I'm like, but it's not, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. Like it shouldn't be that like inconceivable <laughs> to think to, for people to be like, like it's like that empathy conveying empathy and kind of like, yeah, do just, it feels some days it feels like I'm really doing the bare minimum, but it does feel impactful because so many of these groups like don't even experience like the bare minimum of someone checking in on them every week. So. Yeah. 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 I'm just always so impressed, you know, hear from people who dedicate their lives to working with, with, you know, the homeless or people who have been abused or, you know, people who are, are fighting to come out of addiction and you just go, wow, like, it gives me a lot of hope. And, and again, I know you're saying you feel weird when people thank you and I get it, but I just also feel like I got to just say, it's just impressive. I'm just always impressed. Like leaving it in a simple reaction. How impressive is that? That, and, and the rest, the rest of it, the, like you're the people who are often not thanked. And you're often the people who like the whole the whole thing would fall apart if we didn't have people who wanted to be selfless. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry if it makes you feel weird, but I'm going to own it. <laughs> can I ask you? Well, thank, a, yeah, thank you. Can I ask you a question that I bet is a little tough and I bet it's just a little annoying at this point? Sure. One thing we haven't touched on is that it, it's, I'm not the first person to say this, it doesn't feel like this uptick in hate towards Asian people in America is coming from nowhere. It doesn't, I don't think there's too many people going, Oh, we better do some studies on where this is coming from. 
when you first hear the leader of the free world use the phrase Kung Flu, and you see footage of him saying it in packed arenas and people start cheering, does this put a pit in your stomach? Do you feel the fear from that moment forward? Because it's, it's like the 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 softest thing I can say about it is like what a juvenile and idiotic thing to say. And the you know you can say things even harsher than that depending on on where you land. But where I go, well, look, <laughs> you got people shot, man. You got people shot. You made it feel. You made it feel like people are within their rights to hate Asian people. That phrase right there, China virus, Kung flu. Like what, what are we doing? So when you, like, are we, is the president in third grade? Like, is he in the third grade? So when you first hear that, I have to ask, like, do you sort of know then that the storm clouds are rolling in on, on all this stuff? What a dumb moment that was. What a dumb moment. And I bet everybody who heard it just went, ugh, ugh, I can't believe that happened. So it's the perfect time for all of us to take a breath. Here's the ads. We'll be back with the answer to that question and many more. Thanks again to all of our advertisers. Now let's finish off the phone call. So when you first hear that, I have to ask, like, do you sort of know then that the storm clouds are rolling in on, on all this stuff? I guess I don't. That's a good question. I think I'm sure that other people have different answers than I do, but honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't super concerned. I, I mean, I think I, I went definitely kind of had this thing over the last presidency where I just, I can't, watch him talk it makes me so angry he's the worst he's so dumb i i mean i hope the trump supporter <laughs> listeners don't hate me hey they don't know who you are um, they can hate me if trump supporters hate me <laughs> i'm officially at a point where i go eh, it's a bummer anybody hates me but <laughs> also i'm not gonna pre i'm not gonna hedge my bets i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold back my words that <laughs> yeah, this is these are dumb statements that that are just uh un- unforgivable. And if you want to hate me for saying that, hate me. And you're <laughs> off the hook, dear caller, cuz they don't know who you are. There's that exactly. secret to this show. That's true. I'm so beautifully anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean um, but yeah, I just, I mean, I hate him. He's the worst. Um, don't really need to elaborate on why, but I just, I think I just kind of heard about it peripherally. I didn't, I didn't watch it. I didn't like read too much about it. It was, um, but I guess looking, looking in retrospect, yeah, that definitely emboldened so many people. I mean, I guess like the sentiment clearly was art was already there a little bit like um but yeah I guess it's just that people just feel so like entitled to just do these horrible horrible things and I 
And I think that that is what is, has been freaking me out a little bit. Like when I, when I leave my apartment, just cause I, I mean, I'm not naive about racism and that it exists and that it's extremely pervasive. And I have my own prejudice prejudices that I'm trying to like work against, but I, I guess, like, I just don't, I just don't get it. Like who thinks it's okay to like, I don't know, pull someone from behind and throw them to the ground, like for no reason. Or I think I read about some woman getting peed on, on a train that I take at least once a week. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's just like, what, like how, like, what is wrong with these people? I don't understand how, how it's okay or how they, how they're like justifying it to themselves. And it's very much a like prey on the weak men mentality. It feels like, cause like, why would you attack older people? Like you're just attacking people who have no opportunity to fight back. It's, it's, um, I, yeah. I, I don't really understand how in four years, cause there's a, listen, everyone's always going to have opinions that other people are just wrong in their beliefs and, and their political hopes. Like, and that's always been the case and it always pisses us off. But even like George W. Bush was so divisive, right? Like the daily show, John Stewart became a legend by, by just pointing out every night idiotic things that that in his opinion were happening but those years didn't seem to give people in the general public permission to act like neanderthals towards each other and like you said you have to go on a train now where you have to go i hope someone doesn't pee on me that's 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 beyond anything any of us have ever seen at least in our lifetimes i can speak to that right although maybe actually it's not fair to say maybe you see footage of the civil rights movement and my parents were alive then. And I bet people, you know, like, so that's, that's probably wrong of me to say, but you go, this is, you're pushing elderly people down on the ground just today, just today, before you and I spoke, I was browsing Reddit, which is a, a, a site that I have to break my addiction to it. it there's a lot of good on it, but it, I just, I just get worked up. Just today I saw a video of, a woman in a New York bakery calling a man the N-word. And I saw another video of a guy in a lift who wouldn't put on a mask, so his driver asked him to get out, and he told the driver, you're, you're a wetback, and I'll crush your skull. Like, this is beyond. This is beyond. Like, we have officially descended into something that I haven't seen before where these feel like where there are portions of the population going, yeah, yeah, it's time. It's about time. Things like that start like what? Like we've descended into something that is societally you're going, are we, can we bounce back from this? Can we expose this level of, of just, debased behavior and can we bounce back from it it's becoming a real concern yeah i don't know and i i guess i'm like a little bit hesitant to say this but i 
um, I will say it anyway, I guess, um, like being sensitive, I guess I, cause there are definitely some similarities with like what's happening now to Asian American people and kind of like the res- the response. And it is kind of like has a similar pattern to what happened last summer in terms of like the risk, the response. And I'm not trying to say that those experiences are equitable or um, all that stuff. But I also, but I think with, with the Black Lives Matter stuff, it did feel, this is just my opinion and how I've been thinking about it a little bit, that there, there definitely were, I guess, things and laws and policies that people can petition to change. And I guess getting people like we're going to get certain people out of power. And, but with, with this, it feels a little bit different because it it's like individual people. And I guess, are you supposed to like make a law that says don't be racist? I, it's, I mean, maybe, yeah, you can make that law, but it's not really going to change the way people think. So, and I, uh, and there's also these um, things that are like, read, read this book or watch this movie. And then, then you'll know about like how important the Asian American experience is, but this doesn't really feel like anything. Yeah. But maybe it's the start. I don't know. I know what you mean. Right. I feel like a few years ago when, when the movie Crazy Rich Asians came out, it felt, I feel like that's sort of the type of thing that you're talking about. Of like, it felt like, oh yeah, there's an experience finally showing up on, on like major platforms that represents something else. And it's, and it, it's like, well, well now we're a couple of years out and people are getting killed. So what did it? Like, it was just a movie, I guess, you know, which is a bummer. I don't know if that's exactly what you meant, but, but that's, it comes to mind for me, right? Like, like, um, I hope I don't mispronounce his last name. Like Steven Yeun's nominated for an Oscar and doesn't that represent progress? And it's like, yeah, it does. But there's some old lady who got pushed down on the street. Somebody got peed on on a train. So like, it is progress, but it's also like. It's pop culture. Like, what? Yeah. Can I also say, I want to talk more about that. I also do want to say, I used a word a few minutes ago that people use against Mexican people. And I I want you to know, like, I, I abbreviated the N word. If, if there was a way to abbreviate that word that I think it would have come across, I, I, my point being, equally abhorrent words, equally unacceptable words. And I want people to know that I feel that passionately but if there was a shorthand for that that i could have used in the moment i would have so i just want not to not i'm trying to protect myself but just rather say like hey in making sure the conversation gets across it feels necessary anyway might be wrong on that might be wrong on that who knows but good to acknowledge Regardless. Yeah. I just don't want people to think like, oh, so you're allowed to say one word and not the other. I'm like, no, they all, all of them suck. All of them suck. We just happen to have a phrase for one so we don't have to say it. And 
Ugh, ugh, everything. Everything. <laughs> everything. Yeah, it's the like mood of the year. It uh you sound, I have but, to say, I don't know you and I don't know what you usually sound like, but you just sound kind of tired right now. And I I wonder if that's, I wonder if you're just usually a very chill person or if right now that is at its extreme. Um, I am usually a pretty, pretty chill person, but I also, I am pretty tired right now too. So maybe it's like double, doubly emphasized or whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Also, subject matter is pretty tiring. It is. It is. And that's one of the ways where, that's one of the ways where the the people who, in my opinion, are bad, that's where they, a lot of people go, oh, I'm just so tired of talking about this. And it's like, yeah, you know who's more tired of talking about it? Like, you. You, the person on the phone for me right now. Like, yeah, you're tired of it too. That doesn't mean we don't get to talk about it because we have to, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, but then I guess there's also that, like, the other hand of that, which I've also experienced is um, sometimes talking to, uh, I guess, um, like, white friends is there's always this, uh, this happened to me so much when I was, um, it's, I was living in Wyoming last summer. I, I moved to Wyoming like after college for a little bit, but that could be a call summer, in its was... own right. That could be, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever spoken to someone it. from Wyoming, uh, not just on the podcast. I don't really? think I've ever met someone from Wyoming. Yeah. And I have traveled all over the world and all over the country to my knowledge I have never met someone who grew up in Wyoming or who lives there. Anyway, mm-hmm. we only have nine minutes left, so we'll put that yeah. on the docket for a follow-up someday. Yeah, well, I'll definitely. I'll just say that um, that like the there's also like that devil's advocate thing where everyone's like, "Oh, this was such a good. I'm so happy. Like this is such like a good conversation to have." And then I'm like, "Yeah, maybe it was like you felt good and you felt like." Like, ooh, like it was so nice to like engage in these difficult topics and, but it's like, and, and you're playing devil's advocate and it's like, ooh, like let's talk about this from all angles and it's just stop. Like you don't maybe like do that when you're talking with your white friends. Like if you're doing that with me, I'm not like trying to have a fun conversation. Like this is how I learn how my friends and family like view things. So just like, that's how I go into those conversations. It's not to be like, oh, like fun, <laughs> like fun debate, right. you know? Right. Oh, cool. We all get to like sit around, like sit around in our dorm room or sit around in a coffee shop and get to have this convo and feel, and I am, maybe I'm guilty of that right now. There might be people listening right now going like, yeah, they're like, you get to just spout off all the all the liberal opinions you have right now. I might be doing that right now. I don't know. I might be doing yeah. it. I might just be another white guy that's like, yeah, it's, this sucks so bad, and you sound so tired. And man, we shouldn't be able to have even that. I'm. It's probably tiresome from me right now. 
also it is also something that I I did want to want to talk about and kind of get the get it out there. So I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> but what is there anything that's been making you happy these last couple months? Um, a <laughs> quick change of topic. <laughs> no, and uh, what a. a a good turn to take at, at the end of a call that's just defined by like fear and frustration, right? Well, I'm, I'm very lucky that my, you know, I have a son, he's, he's going to turn two in a few weeks. And when the world feels really scary, I have a very good excuse to just go, it's, it's my responsibility to also take time each day to tune that stuff out and just connect with him. Cause he's a little guy. He doesn't know any of this. He, and he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I have a good excuse to kind of almost a responsibility, like I said, to kind of shut everything else out once in a while. But then you balance that, right? How do I say, I got a kid. I I bought a house recently. I have all this stuff to feel good about. Doesn't give me permission to not be at least aware of the world. So that those things do make me happy. And then there's also like, you know, almost like survivor's guilt to that, that I'm sure a lot of people feel. What makes you happy lately? Um, I guess I first want to say like, it's, I don't know, it's okay to be, to be happy when the world is seemingly falling apart. I mean, how else are you going to, going to live? Yeah. Um, how do you get out of bed? You're, I'm like, oh, I just watched Shit's Creek. That show was amazing. Like, show's amazing. <laughs> that made me happy. Yeah, I just finished Search Party. Have you seen it? I watched the first two seasons. I got to get on the rest, man. I got to get on the oh rest. Oh my God. Got to Having a two-year-old means you don't get to watch much TV. So it's like we watch one show at a time and then we get to the next one. But uh, one, I have a friend on, I have a couple friends on that show, but uh, John Reynolds, John Early, like we came up in the same circles of comedy in, at sort of different times, but- um, really cool to see guys who I used to see in like bars in Brooklyn doing great shows on such a, such a great TV show now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, um, that's one thing that's been, been making me happy lately. I just, I just like binged all of it and it was really good. It's really good. How funny is John early on that show? <laughs> so funny. Like every, and everybody's funny on that show. I was impressed by two things. One, I'm like, man, my friend John Reynolds, who I've seen as a comedian, he can act his ass off. He has some of the emotional heavy lifting. And then I'm like, John Early. It's just like watching it's like watching a basketball game where one guy just keeps hitting three pointers over and over and over again. We're like, he can't miss. He's so funny yeah, on that show. This is never not funny. Yeah, it's it's an impressive show. Impressive show. How you like in Wyoming? Does Wyoming make you happy? Um, I don't. I don't live there anymore. I um, I moved there right after college, and I lived there for two years. Um, I moved from from New York to Wyoming, like New York City to Wyoming. From so New York City to Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, I've lived in New York my my whole life, and after college, I just just drove out there by myself. You just wanted the ultimate change of pace. Uh, I mean, I think it was kind of like I didn't have a job 
and then I got this internship and it was supposed to be a summer internship and then I just stayed. Did you like it? And then I moved back to New York. Uh, um, I think it's a beautiful place. I like the, like the scenery. It's, it's like the New Zealand of the U S but, um, it's probably bigger. Um, but I think I, there were so many things that I loved about the lifestyle. Like it's like the work-life balance is so amazing and, and people are so, at least the town that I was in, people were so passionate about going backpacking, climbing, mountaineering and stuff like that. And that was something really like nice to be around, which is so different than New York where it's kind of like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to stay here and we're going to, we're going to work till 9 PM. And I just remember at my old job, like there's basically a mass exodus at 5 PM. Like everybody, like nobody was staying a minute. I mean, I'm sure some people were, but, but it kind of got to the point where once I, there was that mass exodus and I forgot something at my desk. And when I doubled back at like 5.05, the door was locked. Oh, that's so good. New York City was killing me with yeah. that, the round-the-clock thing. And I was all about it for so long. Now, wait, did you grow up in Manhattan? I did, yeah. So uh, we only have a minute and a half left. So I'm wondering, <laughs> we were talking so much before about the experience of being adopted by a white family. And I even mentioned that there are areas of New York City that are, I mean, East uh, Elmhurst, Flushing. I know the Manhattan one's a little bit less of an actual neighborhood now, but not totally. Do you frequent those places? Do you feel a connection to those places? Um, I mean, not really. I, I wish I did. I mean, I think the, the food in Flushing is amazing. It's the best soup dumplings of my life oh in my Flushing. Oh God, the soup I dumplings. Love... <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, but, um, and I and I definitely have started exploring that more. And I, I mean, I would always love to visit um, Chinatown and stuff like that. But I I wouldn't say growing up, I felt like I didn't really feel a sense of like this is my place. These are my people. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Now we have twenty five seconds left. I guess my final question is: Do you think ultimately we will all be okay? 20 seconds, not fair, <laughs> not fair of me to do. Um, I am going to say yes. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. That's good. That gives me some <laughs> And it was really, really nice talking to you. I'm sorry that we spoke during some times that are really grim in particular for you right now. Really, it's, it's cool that you got the opinion out there and it, it bums me out we couldn't talk under, under happier circumstances. Maybe, maybe another time. Yeah, it was really nice to talk to you as well and to hear your thoughts. Oh, I mean, I want to talk to you just so I can hear all the information that's going to lead to the sitcom about about someone moving from Manhattan to Wyoming. Right there. Right there we could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely maybe a reality show coming. <laughs> Look at that. Somebody's going to steal that idea now. They better get in touch. If you're looking to steal that idea, you better get in touch because the, the caller's got to, you got to license it. You got to license it. Anyway. Okay. It was, it was really, uh, really lovely talking to you, even though it's, uh, like I said, I wish it was about happier things. I wish it didn't have to be about this, but, but 
very cool of you to reach out. Yeah, yeah. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. And lots of things make you happy. Caller, thank you so much for calling again. It was a tough call. A bummer that the call needs to happen, but it did need to happen. You were the one who made it. I thank you for that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going, that is good that I got to hear that. So thank you. Thank you to Anita Flores, to Jared O'Connell, to Shell Shag for the music. ChrisGeth.com. That's where my uh, touring dates are going to get posted when they start happening. So check it out. Wherever you listen to Beautiful Anonymous, there is a button that says follow or favorite or subscribe, something like that. It really helps us when you hit that button. If you want our whole back catalog without any ads, stitcherpremium.com slash stories. That's right, stitcherpremium.com slash stories for more details. Thanks so much. <laughs>